Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of four limb rehabilitation tips in horses with Dr. Steve Adair of the University of Tennessee. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Adair is a diplomate in the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation. He is certified by the American Veterinary Chiropractic Association in animal chiropractic and is a certified equine rehabilitation practitioner. His special interests are in equine rehabilitation, lameness, and regenerative medicine. His clinical focus areas include equine lameness, rehabilitation, and orthopedic surgery. Dr. Adair holds a bachelor's degree in microbiology, a master's degree in veterinary microbiology, and received his DVM from Auburn University. Thank you, Dr. Adair, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about four-limb rehab tips in horses. Thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Beautiful day in Knoxville, Tennessee after the rain. It's uh, blue skies and supposed to be in the lower 60s today. So, uh, oddly enough, we've got good weather for a day or two. Well, that's good. And I've got to tell our listeners, because I know you can't see Dr. Adair, but he is wearing Tennessee orange. I just want you to know yep. that. So I, I, do, I, I do have my orange gator on. Uh, we, uh, as with everybody, the, the school, we wear masks all day long, except if you're in your office. And so uh, certainly would encourage uh, mask use wherever appropriate. Well, that's good advice. And we're going to go with you for some other good advice today because we know equine rehabilitation has come so far from the days of when I remember of pin firing and mustard plasters and the solution to everything was stall rest. So what do you recommend that veterinarians focus on to improve the rehabilitation skills for the equine forelimb? And I think you want to start with diagnostics. Yeah, um, I do. Uh, I think... Uh, in order to uh, provide a uh, appropriate uh, and beneficial rehab plan, that uh, having an accurate diagnosis is is going to be uh, of paramount importance. Uh, certainly, if you uh, if you don't have an accurate diagnosis, uh, you uh, how do you know what to do? Uh, so oftentimes. Uh, uh, we're also providing treatment uh, at the same time we're doing rehab. Uh, and, and I think that's important. Rehab doesn't start uh, two weeks after your diagnosis or three weeks. You know, rehab starts immediately. Uh, and uh, we actually do uh, what we call prehab here in that we do uh, uh, exercises and, quote, rehabilitation before we do surgery or something like that. So, uh, in, I think you'll recognize that in the human medicine, uh, that they do prehabilitation. They have you start doing exercises prior to joint replacement surgery. And then just as soon as, uh, your surgery is complete, uh, physical therapist is always, is already coming in and starting to do things either that same day of surgery or at the latest the next day. So, uh, like I said, the rehabilitation starts, uh, uh, like I said, prior to uh, surgical intervention or as soon as possible 
following uh, intervention or uh, or uh, any type of injury. So you need to know where that problem uh, lies. And so doing accurate diagnosis uh, and accurate uh, localization uh, within the limb is very important and coming back and trying to uh, ascertain the degree of damage uh, that's going on, either uh, radiographically, ultrasonographically, uh, MRI, CT, uh, whatever the case may be. And the reason that's important is, is during the rehabilitation process, you want to know whether you're actually uh, uh, helping or not. Uh, you need to develop some type of of therapeutic monitoring uh, in order to uh, determine uh, how this case is progressing uh, or hopefully not uh, digressing. Uh, and so, you know, you may want to come back and reshoot radiographs. You may want to do uh, frequent uh, ultrasonographic evaluation. You may want to do frequent uh, gait evaluations. Uh, and so all of those things are, are going to be important. And unless you have the uh, nature of the injury uh, or the condition fully uh, investigated, you're going to have a hard time. And that leads into therapy. You know, uh, having an accurate diagnosis um, will allow you to select the, the most appropriate therapy for the condition. Uh, and then once you've got all of that together, uh, then I think it's uh, uh, that's when you develop your rehab plan. Uh, and uh, I think it's important to recognize, especially with with rehabilitation, it's a team approach. Uh, it's not just the veterinarian. Uh, certainly the veterinarian is going to be very important. Uh, but then uh, you've got the, the horse owner, you've got the trainer, uh, you may have a massage therapist, you may have the dental technician, you've got the farrier. Everybody needs to be on the, on the same page. Uh, and having the, the veterinarian able to, to elucidate and, and talk about uh, the injury, the severity of the injury, the prognosis, uh, et cetera, it's going to be important. And like I said, all of that comes back to having an accurate diagnosis uh, in order to determine the most effective treatment and the most effective rehabilitation plan. Okay, well, that sets a good groundwork then. I didn't know about the prehab. I mean, I do in humans, but I didn't really, like I said, equine rehabilitation has just come so far yeah there's there's a lot that you, that we can do uh, uh up to uh you know uh let's say a surgery the prehab is going to be primarily uh if you're doing surgery so let's say that i'm doing uh tenoscopy uh on the deep digital flexor down within the tendon sheath you know, I may want to, prior to surgery, uh, start doing some uh, weight shifting exercises, maybe some uh, some stretching if they're 
amenable to it, I may want to go ahead and institute uh, uh, therapeutic trimming and shoeing. You know, all of that would be considered uh, uh, prior to um, the actual surgical it's, uh, intervention itself. Uh, and then once you do surgery, you know, coming in uh, and doing uh, uh, pain control uh, and doing some of these weight shifting exercises, et cetera, uh, are, is going to be extremely important. Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's, it, it's interesting. It's, it's no longer, you know, and I, I'm a surgeon and my whole thing used to be 30 days in a stall, 30 days in a paddock and 30 days kicked out to pasture. And, uh, probably about 15, 20 years ago, I recognized that there had to be more to it than that. Uh, and so my adage is, uh, rehab is more than stall rest, you know, and I, and, and I think we recognize nowadays that immobilization is not our friend. Uh, and, uh, that's why I mentioned uh, humans. Uh, following joint replacement surgery, I mean, they have you up the same day moving because they recognize that uh, uh, inactivity is is not uh, is is not good. Uh, and so, what we're doing is trying to uh, encourage uh, movement uh, based on the diagnosis and based on the treatment. Uh, and that, again, that wraps all the way back around to having an accurate diagnosis to start with. Um, you know, there's many ways the, the rehab is, is, is improving uh, continuously. Uh, you know, now, you know, we look at, uh, uh, let's say, superficial flexor tendonitis. You know, people were really, really uh, uh, concerned about horses overloading a bow tendon. And uh, now we've got uh, really nice articulated braces that can protect uh, the flexor apparatus. And when you do that, uh, it allows you to institute uh, uh, loading of the leg in a controlled situation much, much, much earlier uh, than any other time uh, before. You know, and we know tendons and ligaments remodel along the lines of stresses. Uh, and so if you, if you can do a controlled exercise program with them and a controlled loading uh, regime with your tendon and ligament injuries, uh, you can uh, get a better quality product. Okay. Now, it's not necessarily about trying to shorten up the overall healing period, but what you're trying to do is improve the quality of the healed tissue. And that, and that goes for, for any of the tissues. You know, rehab, yes, it may be able to to shorten the overall uh, back to work period, but um, by a little bit, but really that should not be a goal uh, of rehab. A goal, what rehab is, is trying to return 
the in the individual to some type of of constructive uh, life following injury. Uh, and for the most part, when we're talking about rehab, we're talking about uh, injuries and or surgeries to um, the uh, musculoskeletal system. You know, there's there's all different kind. People will also uh, cons- uh, consider rehab of abused and and neglected horses and starved horses, et cetera, which is fine. But in in what I usually do, my stuff is dealing with rehabilitation of injuries uh, or at least some kind of chronic lameness condition per se. So we've got a we've got a lot of a lot of different options uh, depending on what uh, the injury is, uh, you know, and you can start, you know, down at the foot and work your way all the way up and, and address one, uh, each thing, each disease process individually. But, you know, for the most part, what you're going to be dealing with is what do you do for bone and joints? What do you do for tendons and ligaments? And what do you do for muscle? You know, and that that basically is it, regardless of the location on the limb. You know, so it's uh, I mean, let's let's face it. If you're looking at the foot, I mean, you've got tendons and ligaments and bone and everything down in the foot. So you'll address those uh, uh, situations just as you would be a injury to the forelimb or shoulder or higher. Uh, and so those things are going to be uh, important. So if we if we talk about you know those type of, of problems, um, you know, and we'll let you start with the bone. What are some rehab things that you can do for bone? Okay. Um, certainly, it's going to depend on the nature of the injury. Uh, and what the actual condition is. But certainly I'll get back to the loading. You know, Wolf's Law, bones remodel along the lines of stress. And so you're going to want to try to do a gradual increase in stress uh, on the bone. And that may start out with nothing more than in a stall, using balance pads and doing asymmetrical loading uh, back and forth. You know, basically you just do weight shifting and that may be it. You know, if you've got a fracture that you've plated and that you're dealing with, uh, you may not certainly want this individual walking up and down the hall. And so it may be nothing more than the, than, than going in and uh, doing weight shifting exercises. Um, Another another thing that is is certainly uh, beneficial uh, is stretches. You know, you can take a fairly uh, inactive horse and you can still do baited stretches while they're in the stall, regardless of what the problem is. Okay. Um, after that, uh, you know, in the initial, uh, if you've done surgery or if you've got acute inflammation, you know, what are we going to use for that? Cold, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, every, everybody thinks, oh, I need to use all these gadgets and everything. But, you know, bottom line is coal is probably still the most efficacious uh, modality uh, out there to uh, decrease pain and decrease inflammation. Uh, and so certainly uh, where appropriate, uh, cold application uh, several times a day is extremely important. And you can do that uh, on your post-operative conditions. Uh, so uh, you just need to take appropriate care so the suture line doesn't get wet. Yeah. But you can apply cold. There's no reason not to uh, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, you can also use laser for anti-inflammatory. Okay, it uh, I like it. Uh, it's it does I think in the acute, uh, in the face of acute inflammation, uh, I think the therapeutic laser does a good job, uh, regardless of the tissue. Now we do have to question what the depth of penetration is, uh, and can you adequately get uh, the enough photons down to the level. Uh, the target tissue. I mean, certainly that is an uh, that is an appropriate concern. And uh, there's all we could spend an hour or two hours talking about that. But uh, certainly, uh, uh, I do like it. I do think it's beneficial uh, for that. Um, moving on to 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 other things that can be done with bone. Uh, I do think. We need to recognize that a lot of the modalities that are available to the veterinarian or to the rehab market, we can demonstrate effect on tissues, but we don't know whether they're efficacious or not. We don't know whether they change the course of the disease process, okay? There's just not anything out there, at least in the horse. Now, there may be something in other species, okay? But in the horse, research dealing with efficacy is very limited. And so oftentimes we extrapolate over from other species, which may or may not be appropriate, okay? Uh, I can give you an example uh, of some research that I did of, uh, in one of my residents did a few years back is that in humans and in dogs, we know therapeutic uh, ultrasound will increase the temperature of muscle. Uh, doesn't work that way in horses. Uh, we were not able to, to demonstrate uh, elevation of temperature into a therapeutic level. Uh, now, we can raise it a little bit, but it just doesn't get to the level that we deem as necessary to achieve a therapeutic effect. Um, so it works in, in humans and dogs, but it doesn't work in horses. So extrapolating that from humans and dogs to horses is not appropriate. Now, we can heat tendons and ligaments up, no doubt. We showed that. Uh, but horses' muscles are a little bit different than dogs and humans. So uh, that's, just an, that's just an example. But getting back to other interventions on bone, uh, if you're looking at bone healing, uh, probably shockwave therapy is one. 
Now, you're not going to necessarily use shockwave in the face of bone plates, but certainly, uh, or any type of uh, uh, internal fixation, but certainly shockwave therapy has been shown to uh, improve uh, bone healing. So it can be used during the rehab period to accelerate uh, or uh, to uh, uh, speed up or to kickstart uh, a slow healing fracture or what have you. Um, I had hoped that uh, whole body vibration would be something that would be beneficial for bone density. Uh, unfortunately, the research has not has not shown that to be the case with horses. Uh, in humans, we do know that whole body vibration can improve bone density, um, primarily in in women that have uh, estrogen induced osteoporosis. Uh, the kicker on that, though, is that you have to go on it twice a day for 15 or 20 minutes, and it takes several months before you notice an effect. Uh, my hopes, we do know that horses, uh, if they stand in a stall inactive, after 28 days, they, they start to lose bone density. So I had hoped that whole body vibration could be used uh, in order trying to prevent that decrease in bone density. But uh, unfortunately, that hadn't panned out uh, as of uh, right now. Now, it may be related to equipment. It may be related to the, the uh, wave of the vibration and the frequency and et cetera. But again, uh, we have not been able to establish, establish uh, proper technique for whole body vibration. Uh, after that, there's really probably only one other modality that may have some benefit, but certainly hadn't been shown or proven in horses, and that's pulsed electromagnetic therapy. And uh, that has, uh, certainly in humans, has been shown to uh, improve bone healing. But uh, all the studies thus far that have been done in the horse uh, have not been able to document any type of, of benefit. So, uh, but I mean, it is an option. It certainly is an option. Um, speaking of, of uh, pulsed electromagnetic, there's, there's a couple of, of different, there's a high intensity uh, and then there is what is called a targeted pulse electromagnetic. And the targeted pulse electromagnetic is a, is a low intensity uh, apparatus uh, loop, is what we call them, uh, that have been shown to uh, decrease uh, the need for analgesics in the postoperative period. Uh, it's been shown in humans and in dogs. Uh, currently, we haven't been able to fully uh, elucidate that in the horse. Uh, so uh, I think work is, is, it needs to be done in that area, looking at uh, the ability of these targeted uh, pulse electromagnetic uh, apparatuses to, uh, to actually improve post-operative pain or decrease post-operative pain, okay? Um, kind of moving on for joints, 
you know, moving from bone to joints. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that we're going to find with joints that, that we can do for rehabilitation is motion. Okay. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, you know, cartilage is avascular. And how does it get uh, its nutrition? How do the chondrocytes get it, get their nutrition? And it's basically from uh, the cartilage kind of acts like a sponge. And when you weight bear, you know, waste products go out of the cartilage. And when you non-weight bear, uh, then uh, uh, it sucks nutrients in from the synovial fluid. So again, we get to uh, loading and unloading of joints uh, within the stall. So asymmetrical uh, loading uh, of joints, balance pads, uh, if they can't be uh, fully worked. Uh, we do know uh, that certainly underwater treadmill uh, can be utilized to uh, not only uh, help with joint motion and as such, it can also be used to uh, decrease the weight being borne on the limb. So if you've got, so the buoyancy effect that's there, so you can get motion and decreased uh, weight bearing uh, on the joints. So that can certainly help with, with cartilage nutrition. Uh, we know that we can use underwater treadmill to uh, uh, increase the range of joint motion depending on the depth of the water. And so you can use underwater treadmill as, as a target uh, to target specific joints uh, by using the water depth. Uh, and then after that, uh, we can start doing passive mobilizations of the joints uh, by, by simply flexing and extending uh, joints are, are something very easy to do. Um, also, taking a horse and if, they, if they're capable of being walked, uh, taking them and walking them over ground poles uh, and different types of, of, of cavalettis and things like that, all of those things can be utilized in order to improve range of joint motion. Today's Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the makers of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. The other thing I like to do with uh, with joints uh, is that if I've got, if I'm able to, uh, is to prior to exercise, is to heat the fibrous joint capsule up. And what that does is if you've got some restrictive scar formation uh, within the joint capsule, uh, that is decreasing uh, joint motion, I'll often do a therapeutic ultrasound uh, over the joint capsule prior to doing stretching. 
I think it makes uh, the joint capsule more pliable, uh, more stretchy. Uh, and uh, by doing that, I think it makes your your passive mobilizations and your your uh, uh, stretches, uh, what have you, I think it makes them more effective. Uh, so certainly uh, that's an option uh, as far as uh, as that goes. Uh, additionally, if the if the joint is very painful uh, to manipulation, then you're going to want to do some type of pain control prior to doing manipulation. So yeah, you may put cold on it. Uh, initially, if it, if there's pain involved, or you may use a laser uh, trying to decrease inflammation and pain prior to uh, movement. And so those are certainly uh, things that are uh, can be indi can be indicated or can be used. Um, if you're dealing with injuries of the fetlock uh, to where uh, you have issues with uh, extension, and flexion, and let's say you want to limit uh, the extension, uh, then certainly using articulated braces can be used. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's one or two uh, on the market that are used to decrease uh, the extension uh, of the fetlock and thus protect the flexor apparatus and so using something like that let's say you're dealing with sesamoid fractures or a condylar fracture or something like that and you don't have an underwater treadmill but yet you want to uh, uh, exercise this horse but yet limit the loading of the fetlock certainly these articulated braces can be a benefit from there um, after that, like I said, the the biggest thing I think that you're going to find with your your joint injuries uh, is that the last thing you want to do, or if you can get by without it, is immobilization and trying to avoid avoid uh, immobilization uh, is is important. And uh, if uh, if you have to immobilize, then you should immobilize for the shortest period of time as possible. So, uh, I think that's about it on bone. Uh, after that, I think uh, looking at tendons and ligaments are going to be another area, uh, you know, in, in the limb that we look at. Certainly, you know, superficial flexor tendon, deep digital flexor tendon, suspensory ligament injuries, both both high and mid body and low, uh, distal sesamoidian ligament injuries, uh, collateral ligament injuries, uh, all of those type of, of injuries are, are important. Uh, and it's something we deal with on a regular basis. Um, again, uh, I, I had, there's a term out there that's called regenerative rehabilitation, and that's the combination of using regenerative medicine and rehabilitation simultaneously. So what you'll actually, what we actually do here is uh, we do a lot of that. We use a lot of regenerative medicines uh, in combination with uh, rehab 
primarily for our soft tissue injuries. Uh, some joints, uh, not that much bone, but primarily our tendons and ligaments uh, are what we're our primary uh, regenerative therapies are going to be directed at. So it, it's not uncommon uh, during the rehabilitation period for us to be utilizing um, uh, stem cell injections or platelet-rich plasma injections, et cetera. Uh, and then we'll, we'll combine, uh, we'll do some uh, rehab modalities uh, along with them, such as with PRP. Uh, we know that uh, utilization of shockwave increases the release of growth factors uh, from platelet-rich plasma. So we'll actually, uh, we'll actually uh, do shockwave therapy after we do a PRP injection. Uh, we know low-level laser therapy and hyperbaric oxygens and radiofrequency therapy uh, can all have a stimulatory effect on stem cells. And so uh, utilization of those different modalities uh, around the time of stem cell injection certainly can be beneficial. Um, hyperbarics, we know that uh, you can increase the level of circulating stem cells by threefold at least. And so pre-treating uh, a bow tendon with hyperbarics prior to stem cell injections may actually uh, uh, increase the uh, migration of the body's own stem cells uh, into the lesion. Uh, because we kind of know that those stem cells that you inject into the lesion, they kind of, they're more attractants, you know, they, they, they kind of have a chemoattractant type of thing recruiting the body's uh, stem cells to come into the area. So, you know, pre-treatment and during and then post-treatment uh, injections uh, with hyperbaric certainly can be a benefit. Uh, laser, certainly uh, we know that at least in vitro, that low-level laser therapy uh, stimulates uh, stem cells. Uh, stem cells, the mitochondria. So that certainly something can be used uh, around the time of stem cell injections. Plus, uh, it does have an anti-inflammatory effect. So if you do get uh, some type of uh, inflammatory reaction to your injection, you know, if you're doing low-level laser therapy, it may reduce the need of, of, of doing, of, of or it may uh, reduce the inflammatory reaction that you get post-injection. Uh, you can also use cold, same thing. Uh, we try not to use non-steroidal anti-inflammatories around the time of, of stem cell injections because we do know that there are certainly some NSAIDs that, uh, that can interfere with stem cells. Um, and so we, we try to avoid those if we, if we can. Um, along that lines, we also know that NSAIDs uh, can interfere with uh, bone healing. So uh, that's another area uh, where rehab and trying to control pain uh, and improve mobilization uh, may decrease the need for uh, NSAIDs. Um, Again, uh, it's very similar to bone. 
we know for a fact that tendons and ligaments remodel along the lines of stresses. And so by instituting early loading uh, of your tendons and ligaments uh, certainly can aid in the, uh, uh, you get a better quality healing. You don't have this hodgepodge of, of um, a mesh network of, of tendon fibers or ligament fibers. Uh, you've got nice parallel rows, uh, and, which is going to be a much uh, higher quality product. It's going to be much less prone to injury. So again, we get back, I get back to, to uh, early loading of these tendons. Uh, if it's involving, or ligaments, if it's involving the flexor apparatus, then I'm using articulated braces. Uh, if it is like a collateral ligament or something like that, and you, you have to have the horse on some type of deformable surface to walk on, then we're using asymmetrical shoes during the rehab process to, to try to stabilize uh, the foot landing and the load that's being transmitted down the limb. Um, so there, there's many different ways uh, of, of doing that and loading it up. Uh, certainly the underwater treadmill is something to do uh, because you can decrease the, the weight bearing or the ground force reaction on the tendons and ligaments uh, in the underwater treadmill. And uh, I've actually even taken horses with severe tendon injuries and put the articulated braces on them and put them in the underwater treadmill. So you can do uh, combination therapies uh, like that uh, very easily. Uh, I think one thing we need to recognize during the entire rehab process is that the old adage, no pain, no gain. So I do think uh, uh, you need to recognize that during the rehab process, you may get periods to where there is some acute inflammation. So I tend to break the rehab period down into acute and chronic just, just for simplicity sake. And to me, acute is when you've got uh, uh, you've got active inflammation going on. Chronic is when the inflammation's resolved, and what you're doing then is treat, trying to improve blood flow to the area. You're trying to remodel scar tissue. You're trying to strengthen tissue, improve endurance, etc. However, during that chronic period, we need to recognize we're going to have periods of anti of in, inflammation. Let's say you've got a bow tendon and. Uh, you take them out and you push their exercise a little too much and you get a little heat uh, and swelling in that tendon. Well, yes, you're in the chronic period, but you do have some active inflammation going on. So you back up and you back down on your exercise intensity a little bit. You apply laser and cold. Uh, and as soon as that uh, inflammation is subsided, then you progress them back up. And that's where frequent evaluations uh, of your patient is important. Uh, you shouldn't just uh, prescribe a rehab program for the owner to do and then come back three months later and look at the horse. They need to be uh, 
you need to, to do frequent evaluation so you can adjust your rehab plan. Uh, you know, and then that's especially important when you're dealing with injuries. Uh, uh, and along that lines, uh, I do think it's important to recognize with, uh, let's say, underwater treadmill. Uh, the underwater treadmill, you can condition a horse and they can be feeling really, really good, uh, but the injury has not caught up with how good they feel. Uh, and so, uh, you know, some of these horses, and you've got to be a little bit careful, is that uh, uh, the injury may not be uh, healed enough to uh, withstand uh, whatever uh, stress that that horse is going to put on it because they feel so good. So you've got to, by doing frequent reevaluations, that will allow you to to judge uh how much exercise that you can do. And you just need to be flexible, you know, uh, and adjust your plans uh, fairly, fairly frequently. Uh, maybe not weekly, but certainly biweekly or, or at least monthly uh, at the absolute minimum. I mean, horses here in our rehab facility, we do weekly evaluation. Well, we do daily evaluations, to be honest with you. Uh, but for a full evaluation, gait evaluation, lameness evaluation, et cetera, we do it weekly because we want to be able to adjust our program based on what the patient itself is doing. Uh, moving away from tendons and ligaments, uh, moving up to muscles. Again, you're talking about strengthening muscles uh, and uh, maintaining uh, some type of condition. And I'll give you a, pr a, prime, a prime example uh, of, of a case that with, uh, that's a muscle involvement is uh, suprascapular nerve paralysis, uh, Sweeney. Uh, we know that a lot of these horses that have suprascapular nerve injuries within 75 to 90 days, uh, they will regain nerve function. The problem being is during that period of time, the supraspinatus and infraspinatus have undergone atrophy and that those muscle fibers are being replaced with scar tissue or fibrous tissue. So we know for a fact that you can do E-STEM, electrical neuromuscular stimulation, of your infraspinatus supraspinatus and you can maintain muscle fibers uh, and so to me you know it just makes sense that i know a horse i diagnose with uh, with uh, sweeney then i'm going to start uh, a uh, neuromuscular stimulation program and i'm going to let the owner do it at home you know to be honest with you i'm going to prescribe it i'm going to show them how to do it uh, i might even sell them the e-stem unit and then I'm going to go back out monthly and just check it because what's going to happen is once that nerve regains function and you've got more normal muscle remaining, then you're going to have a better end product. Uh, that shoulder is going to be much more stable. Uh, and so that's just an example of maintaining muscle mass. And the same thing goes along. Uh, with muscles in any of your any of your injuries, regardless of whether it's a, a bone, a tendon, a joint, uh, 
uh, or muscle, uh, inactivity again is going not to be our friend. And so uh, same thing with muscles. If you can do weight shiftings and do isometric contractions and relaxations and contraction and relaxations, all of that is going to, to help your patient uh, in the long run. So um, then after that, uh, once you've taken the horse through a rehab process, at some point in time, you got to get back on the horse. You know, the horse is going to have to go back to doing something. Uh, and so that is where, uh, depending on the, the use of the horse, maybe they only want a pasture pet, and that's fine. But if you want a riding individual, then at some time, point in time, you're going to have to start a back-to-work program. And so I utilize uh, uh, my rechecks in order to determine when is it going to be appropriate to start increasing the, the intensity or the type of exercise. And then at that point in time, you know, I usually start with tack walking. And they may still be in a stall uh, with hand walking only, but I'll institute tack walking. And I'll start it with 30 minutes a day. And then the next week I'll do 35 minutes a day. And then the next week I may do 45 minutes a day. And then I'll reevaluate. And if they're doing good, well, maybe I'll start adding some trot sets in. And so I, I do graduated increases in my trot sets over a month. And then uh, reevaluate. And if they're doing good, uh, then I may start adding some canter sets in. So my back-to-work program is about three months, you know, and that's that's uh, that's after I've already done some degree of rehab on them. So, you know, I, I may be 90 days post-injury, and then i am got another 90 days that I'm putting in for back-to-work, so I'm a, I'm 180 days post injuries. That that that's that would not be an uncommon scenario. Um, I mean, it's 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 certainly it certainly is a possibility. So uh, all of this requires again, it's it's a team effort. Uh, I do try to teach the owner uh, uh, to do things because, to be honest with you, they can't afford to have me. Uh, do everything. So I try to come up with some simple stuff. Uh, and we don't, I, and one thing I, I, I want to press upon people is uh, therapeutic exercise is a, is a big area. Um, if you go to a human physical therapist, they're really not that modality driven. They're more exercise driven. So they're going to, they're going to have you exercising and doing joint motions and loading and unloading before they're going to pull out a laser or an e-stem unit or something like that. So it just takes a little imagination. It doesn't take a, a lot of, of, of money. Um, you can, uh, for proprioception, walking over a bunch of different zigzag poles can help. Uh, Different surfaces, you can take a horse and walk them from concrete to gravel to synthetic footing to grass to water. And all of those, uh, each one of those situations changes 
uh, proprioceptive input. Uh, you can put little uh, uh, ankle weights and bracelets on them and, and get them to increase their range of joint motion uh, uh, as such. That's something very easy to do. Uh, uh, you can do, uh, you can take these uh, TheraBands and uh, uh, wrap them around the leg and just hold it and make the horse, you know, have somebody hold it to the side and then walk the horse sideways and make them uh, abduct and adduct the limb. So uh, it's kind of hard to talk about that and not visually show you how to do it. But, you know, it just it takes imagination uh, and it's it's pretty easy to do. And and for reevaluations, uh, I mean, we all have phones. Uh, cell phones, and you can video the horse uh, and look at, slow it down and look at range of joint motion. You can look at length of stride, uh, uh, et cetera. Uh, you can take a tape measure and measure limb circumference, uh, certainly the ultrasound for looking at tendons and ligaments. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you don't have a phone, you don't have anything else, Take a rake and rake out a smooth spot in the sand and simply walk the horse in the sand and look at how uh, long the stride is and take, you know, you can you can evaluate that. So there's there you don't have to have a lot of sophisticated equipment. So I think I've covered a lot. Uh, you have. Oh, I, I've been just sitting here babbling on. No, this is this has been wonderful because I have become so intrigued by the advances in equine rehabilitation just in the last few years when I've been really following it. Sure. And I love the fact that you have given veterinarians and techs a, a way to from the very basic, hey, mm -hmm. old still works. Mm hmm. And if you don't have all this equipment, you can use some other things all the way up to here's what's possible. Yeah. And yeah. The, the ways to use it. So I, I think this has been wonderful. So Good. I, I could have listened for another <laughs> session. So we may have to get back together and talk about some maybe a different limb or, or other sure. of the body. Because I know sure. backs and hips. Sure. And yeah, there's there's all different things. I mean, we got a whole um uh, program we do for neurological horses, EPM horses, you know, et cetera, as far as improving proprioception, improving core stability. And that's one thing I, I didn't, uh, I didn't address. And uh, let me say something a little bit is regardless of the injury, uh, core muscle development is important. Okay. So it really doesn't matter. Uh, so you can start that in the stall. Uh, you can do butt tucks and sternal lifts. Uh, all of those things will activate the core muscles. And you can do that. And this horse may have a bowed tendon, uh, but it still needs core muscle activation. Uh, there are ways with TheraBands and Equicores and Pessoas uh, that once they're able to ambulate sufficiently, uh, you can use those to improve core muscle. Uh, underwater treadmill improves core muscle and postural stability. So all of those work together. And so regardless of the injury. So 
And lastly, the, the one other thing we shouldn't neglect, and again, this is a global thing, or two things. One is the mental status of the horse. So you need to address uh, boredom, stall boredom, et cetera, you know, and it may be getting them a buddy uh, and putting in the stall with them a goat or a pony or something like that, having toys, uh, getting in the stall and working with these individuals uh, multiple times a day. Uh, nutrition is important. You know, you and if you've got an injury or, or, or disease condition, uh, you've got to have an adequate plane of nutrition in order to heal. Uh, and so you want to evaluate that individual's uh, nutrition and feeding uh, regime and making sure they're, they're, they've got enough or uh, they don't have too much. I mean, you know, let's face it, you know, you can, individuals don't necessarily need a lot of calories uh, when they're not doing a lot of work. And so, uh, you may just have them on a good quality grass hay and a ration balancer and a salt block and fresh water. And, and then um, I, we like to use omega fatty acids here for anti-inflammatory. So we put them on that. Uh, we also, uh, all of our horses, that we feed their hay out of slow feeders, uh, nibble nets, nag bags, whatever, the, whatever you want to call them, uh, because horses get bored. They're meant to be continuous uh, browsers, uh, and if you throw a flake of hay in there and they eat everything in 30 minutes and you don't throw another one in for eight hours, what are they going to be doing during that eight hours? So, you know, having slow feeders plus it stimulates production of bicarb and thus it helps buffer the stomach uh, acids and so uh, it can help decrease the incidence of uh, gastric ulcers. So, you know, you do need to, you don't need to tunnel vision down onto the injury itself and neglect the rest of the patient uh, from both a mental standpoint and a nutritional standpoint is, is very important. That's so important to, to bring that up. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Adair. You're I, welcome. I have, I have enjoyed this so much. And we want to thank our audience for listening to this Disease Du Jour episode. And special thanks to our 2021 20, sponsor, Merck Animal Health. So we'd like to ask our listeners to please rate previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Make sure and take our Disease Du Jour survey so we know which topics you want to hear from us. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email to kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. And we're done. Oh, I enjoyed it much. I mean, when you and I started in this industry, and I mean, I started in thoroughbreds in Kentucky. And, you know, who, if you had said, hey, we're going to do some core exercises on this thoroughbred, everybody would have looked at you like yep. you've been drinking too much bourbon. Yep. So I just, I love oh, it. Yeah, it is. And, it, and it's going to, it's going to be doing, we're doing, uh, we're doing a lot of research right now looking at muscle activations uh, and what exercises uh, uh, activate different muscles. 
what muscles are strengthening, strengthened by certain ones. Uh, you know, how, how does balance, what muscles do balance pads activate? Uh, you know, what muscles do uh, uh, are activated by the, the core um, core devices such as Pessoa's, et cetera. So, you know, I think you'll see more and more uh, uh, research uh, coming out uh, dealing with uh, dealing with rehab. So I, I think it's great, and I can't wait to hear more. So cool. thank you so much. You're more I, than welcome. Thank you. Because I, I love this topic. So <laughs> All right. thank you, Dr. Adair. You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.